Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. Later in the show, we'll hit the water with Linda Hill of the Chinese Association of Western Mass and Louisa Davids Freeman of Pioneer Valley Riverfront Club, who combine their collective powers to present the Springfield Dragon Boat Festival this weekend. We may not get to row this time, but the oars are in our hearts. And we'll head to the mountains to discover the newly minted nonprofit Latinas 413 and hear how they're utilizing the community they build to make everyone's lives a little easier and more connected in the Berkshires. Multilingual mutual aid is where it's at. But first, back to the city formerly known as the city known as the town of Greenfield <laughs> for more of our conversation with the current mayor seeking re-election, Roxanne Wiedegardner. We're at Catalpa Coffee, right in downtown Greenfield, across from City Hall, where Mayor Roxanne Wiedegardner works her day job, but is also now running for re-election against a challenger who we'll have on the air, I think likely next week, it looks like. I know one of the challenges the city faced that you oversaw had to do with the police chief, Robert Hay. I'm going to try to give this very convoluted story as quick a synopsis as I can. May 6, 2022, there was a jury verdict in Hampshire County Superior Court that found that Police Chief Robert Haig Jr. and the Greenfield Police Department racially discriminated against former officer Patrick Buchanan during a promotional process. Buchanan was awarded back pay and damages. There was an appeal. The chief was then put on leave on the same day as the verdict, but unrelated to the verdict, according to the mayor, Roxanne Wiedegardner, who's our guest, who ordered an independent investigation not related to the jury verdict, but still involving the chief. About a week later, the city council cut the police budget by $425,000, saying that there was a racial problem in the city of Greenfield's police department. You, Mayor Roxanne Wiedegardner, reinstated the police chief in September of last year after the independent investigation was ordered, came back, which is still, to the general public, an amorphous investigation. We don't even know what they were investigating. You obviously do, and you probably can't talk publicly about most of it. There's nodding happening. Do you feel like Greenfield Police Department still has a problem with race? and? Would you have done anything different in response to this jury verdict saying that the Greenfield Police Department and its chief, who is still the chief, has a problem with race? Let me try to unpack that. First of all, yes, this is a complex situation. And I do want to remind people, when you say jury verdict, it is a jury finding because it is a civil case. Right, it is right. not a criminal case. This was not criminal activity. This was a case of racial discrimination that was brought forward by a police officer. And that particular jury found that the chief was responsible for this. But the case itself goes back at least a year or more before the chief even got here. And it, it just kind of grew like topsy. And I, I inherited it. Along with it, I inherited the, the trial. The appeal, which will be heard, by the appeals court is working through its stages right now. And I, I can't really talk much about the court case because it is active. However, that is what will determine Chief Haig's fate at the end of the day. Are you saying if they find, if the appeal does not go through and he's still found guilty of racial animus, that his tenure as police chief in Greenfield would be over? Well, let me put it this way. The three-judge panel will determine whether the evidence that, that the defense is bringing forward, so it's being defended by our insurance company, the city's insurance company. Now, taxpayers have not had to put forth a cent on this case, by the way. Was there ever a problem in the police department? Yes. Uh, Chief Haig was brought in by the mayor at the time, Bill Martin, and members of the Public Safety Committee to, in essence, right the ship. But for this particular incident, I believe that he has 
he has done that. Additional training for officers, both on racial bias, but also critical incident training. He's the one who set up the co-response unit to ensure that we begin to divert those people who are having mental health episodes or, or have other difficulties to other programs other than jail. Many things that the chief has been able to put in place with the cooperation of the police department. It is all union. That is one particular thing that I think is gives me great hope about, and I still I'm very proud of this police department and how far they've come in terms of how they interact with the community. What will happen if, if for some reason or other the three-judge panel agrees with the plaintiffs, that will be a decision that will have to be made by hopefully myself as mayor, but whoever the mayor is at the time. A separation would have to be negotiated uh, at that point, and it has to be for cause but until we have good cause as it relates to what the meanings of the, that term is in terms of the um, civil service rules that we're operating on, he's our police chief and, and he's, he's bounced back. And right now I think he's doing as good a job as he could ever do under the circumstances. <laughs> We're speaking with the mayor of Greenfield, Roxanne Wiedegardner, who's running for re-election for a second term. You have a podcast? <laughs> oh, I do. I don't know if any other mayors have podcasts in the region. So How's that going? I saw there was a September episode. Is there an October episode on deck? There is an October episode on deck, and I cannot remember exactly. Oh, I think we're going to talk to the head of Veteran Services, being that we're heading up to Veterans Day. And, and you do the interviewing in the podcast. Yeah, you're like, so it's not like a, a podcast where people interview you like we're doing right now. It's no. you, you are the interviewer. That is my background. Long before I became mayor, I was a journalist, so um, I, I do have some interviewing skills. And primarily we interview department heads because it's part of helping people understand how the city works. The very first one was uh, Marlo Warner, director of the Department of Public Works, talking about the sidewalk program and how your sidewalks get paved. You know, there's a whole process, uh, a list. It's expensive work, <laughs> so we can't do it all at once. The one, it is one of the many things that we are constantly getting complaints about, but also requests to, when are you going to get to my sidewalk? My neighbor's sidewalk on two streets over got, got it. What, what, well, what? Why don't you listen to the podcast, and yeah, it'll explain exactly. the whole thing. Did I, you do one on, on potholes? We haven't gotten to the potholes yet. Here's an idea for your November podcast. Oh, no. Yeah. Mayor Roxanne Wiedegardner, who does face a challenger this year, uh, in a sitting city councilor, and we will have her on the show in short order. One of the areas where your opponent has criticized you is in the school budget. The budget situation was tight this year. There was a relatively big cut to the school budget. Correct me if I'm wrong, $1.5 million that needed to be cut from somewhere in the existing budget. You began the debate that happened last week trying to correct what you felt was a narrative that was incorrect. Talk about the decision to cut the school budget as somebody who is a former chair of the school committee, still as mayor, sits on the school committee. Tell us about that decision and why you're countering the narrative from the opposition that says you are anti-school, anti-teacher. Right. Well, first of all, I am a fully committed and active member of the Greenfield Public School System, and I am the only candidate running for mayor who has experience as a school committee member. Uh, six years, three of those years I was chair. So that's six budgets 
which I advocated for a lot. And those were the days of selectmen, city manager, and a 26-member city council. So those were not easy budgets to get passed. The city of Greenfield consistently funds our schools well above the minimum requirement that the state requires. But when I say well above, we are always four to five million dollars above our required spending, as we should be. This particular year was a very difficult budget year. And this year, the schools were asking for 10.37% increase. Those types of increases in the city of Greenfield are never gonna be sustainable. Typically, we come to an agreement at around five to 6% increases. Last year, FY22, it was 6.37, I believe it was. This year, the revenues just weren't meeting a demand at the time we had to create the budget. And the enrollment for the school was significantly down, causing the state funding that we get per student, Chapter 70 money and, and other money, to not be at the level that it had been in years prior. So those of us who are at the helm, whether it's the superintendent or the mayor, have many difficult uh, decisions financially that we have to make. And the way I had to call it this year was, I can't give you a 6% and still be able to fund the rest of the departments in the, that provide essential services in the city. It's going to be 3%, which equaled to about $1.5 million. The Ways and Means Committee and the City Council, by a recommendation by the Ways and Means, cut significantly nearly every other department in the city of Greenfield. They claim they found it in a secret place. Somehow or other we hide money, which is impossible to do in municipal finance. They didn't find it, they cut it from other departments. That is why that I call it a false narrative. I would be more than happy uh, to fund the schools at a higher level, but we can't uh, this year. We have to make the hard decisions at the end of the day, and uh, I'm not 100% sure that uh, my opponent understands that you can't consistently cut other departments in order to fund one specific department. Well, we'll ask her when we talk to her. <laughs> but there's repercussions for that. And yes. as for hiding money, we, well, I want to say something that we can't keep on air because well. I live in that town and, like, man, things are happening. Well, anyway. yeah. You could put it in gold bars in the pockets of your suits. There's a, there's a sitting senator that's done exactly that. say is, like, there, there's a free fund in the town that I live in, and there are things that are being done with it that are questionable. Yeah. We could theorize that this is repercussions from the pandemic and, like, economic fall-off that happened, and we're kind of in a period of time where there has to be some economic growth in order to get everyone back to where we were. What are you doing to bolster that economic growth, especially downtown? My goal is to be able to continue to grow the tax base. To that end, I proposed a rezoning of some significant amount of property, 44 acres on the French King Highway, to make it an expansion of our planned industrial property uh, in our industrial park. It's adjacent to, it's across Route 2 from there. 
and that is an effort to both retain existing businesses but also attract new manufacturing businesses. So that is one of the things that I have done. It took two votes, which my opponent voted against both times, through the city council, and then finally on the third vote, it passed, and she reluctantly voted in favor of it at that point. So that's one piece. We have done a lot to fulfill the dream of a revitalized downtown, and we're not there yet. But uh, to that end, you know, we did participate uh, significantly financially through grant money that was set aside for housing, but also through ARPA, as I explained, in the redevelopment of Wilson's. That's a huge empty space that will become vibrant and accommodate both housing, which is bound to, you know, with that many more people living in downtown, the businesses that are here are going to begin to thrive just from the foot traffic alone. Plus, being able to allow and assist, rather, the expansion of the of the food co-op, and that'll help them perhaps bring their prices down. Those are the kinds of things we've assisted with grant money as much as possible down here. Facade improvement, I think there's, you'll see pins and chicks across the street. The record store, um, why can't I think of the name of it? used to be it? John Doe Jr., but what do they call it, Greenfield Records now? Greenfield Records, yeah. right. Did a wonderful facade improvement. Almost I, all of them done by our friend Jess Marsh Wishman, who is the creator okay. of the maze of Mike's Maze. She even did these Catalpa windows. There we are, I know, yeah. with the hand-painted gold leaf. They are so beautiful. But that's, that's one of the grants that we've done. But primarily what we need downtown is more diversity in the types of businesses we have and an ability to um, increase our foot traffic. And we work quite diligently on both of those things. <laughs> We're speaking with the mayor of Greenfield, Roxanne Wiedegardner, who's running for re-election for a second term, November 7th. We're gonna to talk to her challenger, Ginny DeSorger, within the next week or so. Is this your last run for mayor? And what makes you want to continue to be mayor? Okay. If I want to continue to be married, this is my last run. Okay. <laughs> you could change your mind on both counts later. Yeah, I, I, like it, but yeah. I don't want to do that. Uh, it's been a long and happy marriage. It truly has. And they have two great children who are fully behind the campaign as well. They're okay with me running again. I believe my record is very strong. It's very good. There's many things such as downtown redevelopment, such as increasing the tax base. The Economic Development Department and myself are coming up with and talking to different people whose business it is to put together marketing plans for how to market Greenfield as a great place to not only work and grow your business, but also a great place to live. I saw the Dennis Quaid paid for yeah. thing, but he wasn't even in it. His voice no, 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 no. And that was, that's an, it's been very helpful to us. It's one of the many assets that we have. It's a marketing video. There was some controversy around the amount of money, which was like $25,000 or something to pay for this video that Dennis Quaid was supposedly going to be in and was maybe going to be on PBS. I watched the video. It looks great. Yeah. I don't know if it's $25,000 great. And I didn't even hear Dennis Quaid in it. Yeah, I thought it was, I don't know that much about video, but I thought it was. It's beautiful. Right. Video is expensive. I know. Yeah, right. it's and ex these services are also expensive. Yeah, sure. It's expensive, and uh, you know, I'm told by people who produce it that $25,000 was a deal for what we got. This is why I want to continue to be mayor. Yeah. Uh, with this new marketing plan, we'll be able to promote Greenfield as as a place where we, you know, you can grow your, you can bring your business here, you can grow your business here. 
kept you for far too long there. Yeah, thank you <laughs> thank for you spending for so much time. Well, thank you guys. Like I said, this is this is been great sort of fulfilled a lifelong dream <laughs> to be on the fabulous 113 the show's only been on since I mean, february the <laughs> last part of my lifelong dream i think you got a couple good more years in your left mayor yeah <laughs> thanks to mayor wittegardner for taking time out for us and next week we'll talk with mayor wittegardner's challenger for that role jenny disorder later in the show folks from the chinese association of western mass and the pioneer valley riverfront club will figuratively take us to the water and tell us more about the Springfield Dragon Boat Festival. And up next, as part of our Hispanic Heritage Month programming, we'll take you to Pittsfield to hear about the creation of a new nonprofit mutual aid organization called Latinas 413. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. No, I led last you did the, time. You did the whole thing all by yourself last time. I the whole thing by myself last time. Right. This time we're bringing you into so that you can meet all of the wonderful I'm, people as, that are a part of this organization. I'm sharing with you. I'm so lucky. Que <laughs> suerte. <laughs> we are at Hot Plate Brewing Company in Pittsfield, which is, as far as we know, the only Latina-owned brewery in the 413. The only Latin-owned brewery in the 413, as far as we know. Just double awesome that it happens to also be a Latina, a, a woman running it. Sarah, who's brewing in the back and is, is explaining to us all about these beers. But we're here with a group of women called Latinas 413. What's your name? Liliana Atanasio. Tania Romero. America Lopez. Calice came, I think for Cinco de Mayo, yeah, about um, here, and I had to miss it, but to get hear a little bit about what you were doing for Cinco de Mayo for uh, Latinas 4 and 3 here at Hot Plate. There's some fun stuff happening for Dia de los Muertos here at Hot Plate through Latinas 413. But given that it is Hispanic Heritage Month, we can talk about the history of this organization and how it came about. I read an article that said somebody from the organization was at Mass Mocha, the Museum of Contemporary Art in North Adams, and felt like they didn't belong. Elise and I were just at Mass Mocha a couple of weeks ago, and there is a giant billboard in the parking lot that says Latinas 413. <laughs> Two billboards, yeah. yeah. So, That's how generous they are. I hope, yeah. Mocha. Yeah, so I don't know if that means you feel like you belong now, but I was like, wow, this is cool. I feel like, yeah, that's their way of saying welcome, right? Yeah, they were saying, like, you didn't belong now. Let me show you, you belong here. Yeah. Here's the billboard. There's still a lot of work. Of yeah. course, yeah. Always. Liliana, are you the founder, if, if there is a founder? We all are. Okay, so. I think, uh, yeah, I kind of started, like, spark. It was in the heart of everybody. Yeah. It was already nesting in there and waiting for the moment to come. Tell us what caused that spark. The need, the isolation, COVID. We're not designed to be alone. So that was a big, a big concern. And I made a call. And like I said, I think it was already incubating <laughs> in the heart of many Latina women ready to, to jump in and do the work. So where does one make that call? Was it a literal phone call or was it like social media? How did I you get the work? I think we all, all kind of came together. We met at BCC, British Community College, and there was a group called Multicultural Student Service Organizations. We kind of all got together there and we knew each other. Our intention was to create this network, support network for Latinas, for our community, for families, uh, because we knew the struggle at going to college. We knew how hard it was to pay for school. 
being undocumented, being immigrants, women. I think that need drive us to create this hub, uh, this safe space. At that time, it was virtual. Right now, I mean, we are gather in different events, but at that time, it was just virtually and private because we wanted to protect all the women who decided to jump in and join us in this crazy idea. I think that it was a collective dream that we all of us had and like uh, Liliana is always super ahead of um, she's a time traveler. Whoa! <laughs> this is the best day of I love life. time travel. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, no, she was like, I think there's a need for us to come together and create something like join forces and like kind of bridge our communities because we all have like belong to different communities even though we are uh, Latin or Hispanic or whatever you want to call it. We belong to other different groups. So Liliana was like, how about we join those communities in Latinas for one three? Not everybody knows the, the term Latinx or Latin. Mm -hmm. Not everybody identifies like that. So we were like, hey, ladies who speak Spanish, live in the Berkshires, who want to join this group. That's how we started. So that's the unifying factor, the fact that you come from some Latin-based culture and all speak Spanish. Yes. Do you find when you do events in public that people come up to you and ask about what's happening? Like they're excited about seeing something in public that looks like them and want to participate. Yeah, I feel like people, now they recognize the name, right? Latinas 413. Like we cannot hide it anymore. No, I mean, we you got billboards. <laughs> Other Latinas just showed up at the table. It's like the bad thing though. Yeah. But it just happened. It just happened. Laura just joining us. She's the one that managed to get those billboards outside of Masmo. How did those billboards come about? It was our collaboration with Masmoca. We have a good relationship for a long, long time with Masmoca, and they offered to have like this collaboration with Latinas for One Three, and having like a little bit more like inclusion and um, welcoming to the community too, like part of sending that message to our community to they welcome to uh, to Masmoca. In a time when no matter what your background was, everybody was missing out on community. But it's great that you found this unifying factor and found each other. But that's not where it ended. It's now an, an official 501c3 nonprofit tax status organization. And that's from earlier this year, right? Yes. I think as soon as we learned what was a role, what we could do, I think we, we managed to decide, okay, what I can do. Like Tanya, she uh, manages the finances, the bookkeeping. He keeps us on track because otherwise, <laughs> I'm kind of the dreaming always, you know, thinking in the sky. And then she comes like, listen, Liliana, this is what we have, you know? <laughs> to be honest, I don't think that's possible, but uh, yeah, I'll let you dream. <laughs> she does a great work on keeping us Realistic. Yeah, every dreamer that. needs a realist by their side. I think this whole idea was, you know, to create that awareness. I think, uh, and also we all have these these uh, stories that we came here and we weren't, no, we were not welcome every time. Like you went to the store, every, even like opening a bank account, were not some people were not allowed to. Yeah. So we're kind of trying to open those doors and be like, we're here. We're part of the community. We're part of like the growing economy. We have so many ideas. There's so many people out there in the community that they have their own like small businesses that they're trying to run from home. They need to be educated. So there's, we're still trying to fight and try to find ways to teach the community. And we all make 
this fabric of the Berkshires and make it, you know, just to make it better. Even hiking, it wasn't a thing. Like, we, we didn't know that we were able to go to different hikes. And now it's like the people going out and like, yeah, you can also enjoy. It's not just work, work, work. Also enjoy life here, you know. Yeah, that's interesting that when I was reading about the genesis of Latinas 413, two things that showed up were about feeling unwelcome at Mass Mocha, which now there's billboards, and not feeling comfortable hiking. So whose idea was it to, like, incorporate the outdoors and hiking into the whole thing? America. There was a lot of pointing in her direction. Yeah, everybody was like, we, yes. you can't see that on the radio, but, like, people should know that we, there was a lot of pointing. We just came back for camping in the cold oh, wow. in oh, Vermont. I'm so sorry. And that, that's her. No, I, so I, when I first came here, I felt, like, very connected to, like, the outdoors and nature, but I never felt comfortable to do it because I didn't know the how to read the trail signs or anything like that. So the first three times I did it, I got lost. <laughs> Not recommended. <laughs> so after that, I felt like I had to share that with people. And many of my friends, especially Laura here, she was very receptive. And we started like going on hikes together. And actually, Laura was the first one who introduced the idea to do hikes with a large group. So we started doing that. And as of now, we have a lot of uh, families who feel that they are comfortable on a trail. And we have decided to make it like a program and incorporate the camping trips because I feel like there's more than hiking, right? Like camping is like, for me, it's like, gets you very grounded and connected and you can like just surround yourself with the people you like and isolate yourself <laughs> in an island if you want. We went to Vermont with for State Park. Oh cool. Yeah, super beautiful. But we would not be able to do that on our own, right? We partnered with BNRC, Berkshire Natural Resources Council, and they donated some funding for us. We bought tents and we paid for people to go on the first trip. I think that sometimes it's just a matter of like, can you afford to buy a tent? Everything is new, from renting a campsite to putting up a tent, from realizing what kind of clothing or what kind of gear you need for that trip. I always say this, it's not that we have it all figured out, right? But we learn along the way. And each time we do it, we become a little bit better or more knowledgeable and comfortable about what the things that we want to do. As time passes by, more people feel like they can trust us, and we also find our people. And then you have a nonprofit now that can help find ways to fund yeah, it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think it's just also building the trust. Yeah. So people are like, oh yeah, Latins were 413, yeah, like we trust, like yeah, we'll do it. You're a new organization. This is new territory for you. Have you found that people who have joined your organization are stepping up into roles that you didn't know you needed? That's so true, and I think that's what Laura is doing with Joso Yarte. In terms of leadership, we feel so honored to be the face, you know, and to be representing a lot of Latinas that who probably didn't will come out because they feel like they don't feel like they belong. We just had a meeting with Townwood, and one of the assumptions was like, this is for white, rich people, right? We don't belong here. We shouldn't be here. Uh, and I think a lot of institutions, cultural institutions, have started to change that and embracing that beautiful and rich diversity that there are in the Berkshires. And I think, yeah, Laura is like leading and showing to many young Latin artists, local, what is the way? How you do it? She learned uh, to play the ukulele. Wow. 
on her own. Nice. And now she has a band, and she's been presenting at Masmuka, the man with at least 500 people. That is leadership, showing that it's possible. As we do this, we also have our mentor mentoring program um, that we're helping like young girls and providing scholarships with some of them in, I'll say, knock and doors in schools, also to like let them know, like, yeah, you know, we have people that we're doing this. So just kind of build this into like also the young generation that that's possible and that they belong. We all belong. Before we existed as an organization, right? There were a lot of people doing work, but they were not united. I feel that Latinas for One Three gave people a platform to come together. For me, that's the beauty of Latinas for One Three, that people want to come together and say, hey, how can we partner with you? How can we help or how can we support or how can we collaborate? We are trying to uh, or create bridges for other people to come and do what they want to do, but it's not necessarily Latinas for One Three. But many of them identify as a Latina for One Three, right? And I think that's the beauty of, of this group, that people want to be part of it. And that even if they're not doing something directly through you, at least like there's pathways that you know about that you can show them to. Do you have any idea how many people in the short time Latinas 413 has existed you've connected with? That is hard to keep track because we currently don't have any kind of membership, formal membership. We have a WhatsApp group which is currently five 500-ish. I don't know. Some people will join just because they want to promote their business, right? Some people join because they want to find a room, a, a renting space, or childcare, or just to connect the sense of belonging again. And all those things are available. You can find a room, you can find childcare, because it's a yeah. sort of like a mutual a aid network. network. Yeah. yeah, it's a network, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, so we're not keeping track. Are there events or things that you're not currently doing that you are excited to get on your plate? Your hot and plate. Next, oh my goodness. <laughs> Shameless plug, hot plate brewing. Shameless plug. Pittsfield. With I think the last time I was here, I warned you that if he was here, there would be puns. Yes. <laughs> I only know a few Spanish puns, though. I think one, one thing that we were planning to do, and it's kind of on the side, uh, we were trying to like bring more uh, education in regards to financial education for our community. I think a lot of people are not familiar with the system here. So in a lot of, of us, but we don't trust banks. That's something that we bring from our back from our hometowns. Uh, I think that's just kind of creating that trust with banks here. Are you trying to encourage people to trust banks more or trying to come up with an alternative? Uh, different ways that they yeah. can use. You know, you need to open a bank account if yeah. you need to, like, open a business. Build credit. Uh, build right. credit. You know, yeah. if you want to buy a house, a car. That's key, and a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. So that's a big thing that we And for the next generation, too. Yeah. They, they need to learn. And even here, I think, like, growing up here, a lot of, like, financial education is not taught at schools. Yeah. And I think that's a big gap for everybody, no matter where you come. We are coming from. Yeah, that's across the board for everybody, yep. not just BIPOC people. Part of this is cultural education, too, because like not everybody in this area especially understands how different the nations that speak Spanish are and can be from each other. How do you pick which 
holidays or which events to share with the community to do for outreach to, to educate the public? Yeah, because Dia de los Muertos is coming up, but not always a huge holiday exactly. for all yeah. Latin American countries. We, we start performing at the Mount. I'm excited about that because we, Liliana, she called me, she said, you want to perform? And I got together like a three different musicians. We performed four. We were five. Five. Uh, we performed there and there it was like Hispanic Heritage Month, but we received many calls and I feel like, oh my God, this is important going in different places, sharing our, our culture, sharing our music, singing in Spanish and bringing your young people with me. But it's, it's beautiful that we feel like welcoming, we feel embraced. That's so beautiful. So we have different holidays, but I think it's all like connecting. Like we're bringing people together and like, oh, you're from this place, oh, you're from this place. What do you celebrate? Let's get together. Yeah. And I think that's what we're kind of going by. Like, you know. We understand that um, the Latin Latinx population is not a monolithic, right? That we are from different backgrounds, different, even the Spanish that we speak is not the same. We understand each other, but it's not the same Spanish. And I think that's the beauty of it here in the Berkshires, that we are not only from one place. We are from many different countries. I know that in this table there's three Mexicans, but that's not representative of... <laughs> I could have recorded that gesture. Yeah. The Mexicans are very loving to the Ecuadorian woman, but it was definitely, definitely a one-second Mexican unity push. moment. It's beautiful when we go to camping because we all share our food. Yes. When we, it's from Mexico, from Colombia, Ecuador, different countries. It's so beautiful to get together, share food, and I think it's a good way to create this unity, and especially we have kids, so yes. we, they all get together. With food yeah. and booze. <laughs> and music. Food, booze, and music. That that's, brings the whole world together. That's, the, that's definitely. <laughs> children when they get together like they mix their cultures and their food and they grow up to be very proud of it since my daughter was like with all this group of um, children from other countries she has learned words she has learned about like food and like expressions and things like that and I feel like she's more I don't know we live in uh, such a diverse county here in the Berkshires right that I don't know, I just feel like it's just like a natural transition of being Latino. You're not just Latino. I don't even say that much like I'm Mexican, right? Because I don't feel like I'm Mexican and that's all there is. I'm more than that. And then after 20 years, like, you just get so much from people from other countries that it doesn't really feel like, oh, I'm from this country and that's it. No, no, you just start incorporating words, food. You just learn that people are like no one nationality. If you like something that the other person likes, you can connect with that person through that. Like let's say camping, okay, you can connect to a person through camping, but let's say someone else likes music, oh, so you can connect through music. So anyone finds a point of connection. I feel like nationality comes like second. I feel like humanity comes first when we come together in whatever it is, even if it's with a different group that it's not Latinas for one three, it's just like about humanity. We are different and we're equal in, in both, you know, and embrace that and love it and learn from each other. We're smarter when we come together from different backgrounds, from different experiences, and we create these amazing things, new things. 
Thanks so much to Liliana Atanasio, America Lopez, Tanya Romero, and Lara Cabrera from Latinas 413. We'll talk with them again at Hot Plate in Pittsfield, closer to their Dia de los Muertos event there. Up next, a festival postponed rises to meet the waves. We speak with the two organizations bringing us the Springfield Dragon Boat Festival this Saturday. You're listening to the Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Welcome <laughs> welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. This Saturday at Riverfront Park in Springfield is the R- Springfield Dragon Boat Festival presented by the Chinese Association of Western Mass. We're joined by Linda Hill, president of the Chinese Association of Western Mass, and by Louisa Davis Freeman, the Pioneer Valley Riverfront Club. What's your re- vice president, right? Vice president. You got it. And nice. the retired dean of admissions at Sticks, Springfield Technical Community College, to be technical <laughs> about it. Those are two of the great organizations teaming up for this Dragon Boat Festival, which happens this Saturday, which sounds hugely exciting. We went rowing with Holyoke Rose for their regatta a couple weeks ago, and we were a little bit uh, bummed out that we couldn't row a Dragon Boat, but maybe for next year's? Come on down in the spring. We'd love to have you. Yes. Make these promises. I will make them come true. Yeah. First, (laughs) we'll come find you. Tell us, (laughs) Linda, tell us about the Chinese Association of Western Mass. How many people are you serving, and what's what's your mission? Um, Chinese Association Western Mass is actually a um, nonprofit organization that's originally started uh, probably 2003 or four Ooh. by a few people who just want to get together and celebrate Chinese traditional holidays. You know, we really didn't want to, we didn't really didn't want to, you know, just to celebrate within us, like families, friends get together. And, uh, you know, today we're like really, you know, including everyone. It is really about uh, promoting culture diversity and uh, um, promote culture crosstalk and appreciation, mutual appreciation, and create a, a good environment for all of us and through all kind of uh, activities. I just want to say that I'm, we're really appreciative for this opportunity to work with um, PBRC uh, to work on this Dragon Ball Festival. We were actually looking for an event for Dragon Ball Festival, Dragon Ball something, celebrating the Dragon Ball Festival. Now we said, oh, there is already an event. You know, PBRC have been doing it for many years. And then we, I reached out, I said, do you want some uh, cultural aspect? Do you know why we're celebrating Dragon Ball Festival? So, and then that was started. And uh, we're excited. It's the first time we're doing this with them. And uh, we're really excited about the partnership so far. And hopefully it will be a successful event. Cool. Well, maybe we should learn about the importance of the Dragon Boat. Tell us the, the history and importance culturally of Dragon Boats. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Dragon Boat actually in the Chinese means Longzhou Jie. It's actually celebrated 200 BC before you know many many years ago it started. <laughs> it was it was actually it was actually um uh, you know in honor of a patriot patriotic poet who actually served in the cabinet of a king uh, back then in you know two hundred BC and China is many many part of country many countries you know and then they were fighting and then so there's one he served one of the kings in the middle of the country and then so the king wants to form alliance with another king who's like to invite invade other countries so kind of like what's going on right now right yeah <laughs> so he was against he wants peace he was against it 
you know, like they should not form alliance to invade other countries. But he he was, uh, you know, cast, you know, cast out and he was exiled because he was very outspoken for his ideas. And turned out he was right because eventually that the other king, the other country, Qin, who actually, uh, you know, had a formed alliance with his country, Chu, end up invading his own country and take over. Mm. So, and then that's when he... Uh, he he decided to because he wants to live as like a uh, Zhao person, like like you want to live as American, die as American. Because yeah. when you know, one day someone come to the country and you all become like Russian, right? You, 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 in case something, for example, so he wants to live and die as as his own country. So that's why he as a pro- protest after his country is gone, and he uh, killed himself in the river in the uh, river on the May fifth. Of, of Chinese lunar calendar, which is generally in the midsummer, it's June or July. So that's why we postponed to, till now. <laughs> and so people start celebrating this is because to because they want to keep his body intact so his soul can go to heaven because mm-hmm. we, we honor his spirit, his patriotic spirit. So um, on that day, people do the Dragon Boat Festival, Dragon Boat Racing to drag to attract the fish to come to the surface of water so they leave his body alone. We also eat like a special rice, dicky rice uh, snack. They drop this, wrap it up and drop in the river so the fish will be full, so they won't leave his body alone. Uh, so we on that day, we'll actually give out tasting. It's called zhongzi. It's a special oh, snack. Yeah, no, We're going to give out tasting. Yeah, please, <laughs> yeah. please join us. And, you know, <laughs> you like, like there's one place that makes it oriental taste and um, oriental flavor in Hampshire County are the only places I know that make it. And it is literally my favorite bit of dim sum. Mm. Like it's my favorite. Well, you're going to have to come. <laughs> you have to come around 10, between 10 to 11. We're probably going to be out very soon. <laughs> so you get some. <laughs> and is it called a dragon boat because the boats are shaped like dragons? Was that uh, king who was t- wanting to go off into the heavens uh, considered a dragon himself? The dragon is always, uh, you know, a symbol of it's a water animal. Dragon is a king of the water. Mm-hmm. They, 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 in, they are in charge of the seas. Mm-hmm. That's why. So that's why, you know, like then, then they put on the dragon, dragon head on the boat mm-hmm. and to be like they're in charge of seas so the fish will follow. And the Dragon Boat Festival is this Saturday from 8 to 4 at Riverfront Park in Springfield. We're going to hear some details coming up in just a minute about the Pioneer Valley Riverfront Club from its Vice President, Louisa Davis Freeman. We're also joined by Linda Hill, the President of the Chinese Association of Western Mass. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Cleese Smith. We are joined by Linda Hill, president of the Chinese Association of Western Mass, and by Louisa Davis Freeman from the Pioneer Valley Riverfront Club. Their Dragon Boat Festival is this Saturday in Springfield. We learned from Linda that this is the ancient Chinese tradition of the dragon boats, but this is something that the Riverfront Club has been doing for a while. Tell us about the Riverfront Club. Sure. Pioneer Valley Riverfront Club, often called PVRC, um, is a wonderful public nonprofit club uh, right here in Springfield, um, right next to the North End Bridge. Actually, it's 121 West Street, which I'm always like, oh, where's West Street? But if you know where the <laughs> North End Bridge is, yes. uh, as you're crossing over from Springfield to West Springfield, on the left-hand side, there's a beautiful old wooden um, structure. It has a rowing shell right on top. 
and it's right next to actually it's inside of uh, North Riverfront Park, which is a beautiful little oasis right here in the city of Springfield, one of the city's public parks. Um, and so the club is right there, and it's open to the public. We encourage folks to stop by. Um, our whole mission is to provide access to the river, healthy choices for uh, the greater Springfield area, and healthy activities. So we have dragon boating, we have rowing, uh, we have kayak rentals, uh, we have uh, all sorts of things happening in the winter as well. So don't think of us just as a summer sport thing. We have erging in the winter. We have great training for kids. Wait, we what's erging? Oh, good question. <laughs> so think about the gym. If you've been to the gym and you have Never. that rowing. Okay, forget about it. <laughs> you can talk uh, to me. I'm excited. All right, this. there you go. Great. Erging is a rowing machine. Um, you've probably seen them at the gym, and if you haven't, it's basically a big flywheel that has a chain and a handle attached, and you have a sliding seat, and it's the closest thing to rowing when you're not on the river. So we use it a lot. Um, we, not only PVRC, but rowers around the world and non-rowers uh, use it for training purposes. So we do a lot of that in the winter. We have strength training coaches. Um, we have a lot of fun as well. So It sounds like it. What did your Dragon Boat Festival look like before teaming up with the Chinese American Association? That's a very good question. So this is our first year, and it's a great partnership. Way to go, Linda. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. You bet. Um, but what we've done, we, of course, like the rest of the world, had to take a little bit of a uh, break during uh, you know, COVID. Um, but it's a day full of racing. Um, so we'll have these dragon boats, which how long do you think those boats are? Any guesses? 30 feet. Longer. Yeah, like 40, 50. Oh, you're right. 40 feet. <laughs> so they're 40 feet. And how much do you think they weigh? Oh, not too, too I bet they're much. light. Mm. No, they're not heavy. I think they're heavy. 750 pounds. Oh, wow. But you go erging at the gym, so it's nothing. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Another reason to erg. But when you have 20 people, because uh, a, a dragon boat has 20 paddlers. You have 10 on each side. You have a drummer who sits up in the, the bow, otherwise known as the front of the boat. And they, are, um, they have a, a gorgeous drum. It's all very ceremonial. Um, and they set the pace for the paddling. And then you have a steering person in the stern. So you actually have 22 people on this boat. And those 22 people help move the boat. So even though 750 pounds sounds like a lot, even for those of us who are, when you have that many people, you can move those boats right along. And it uses a paddle, not an oar, which is mm -hmm. really interesting, too, which I think is, makes it easier to, to use because mm -hmm. paddles are easier for me and my brain to use <laughs> than oars. As, as well as I feather, I can't get it in the water in time. <laughs> <laughs> That's rowing terms. I like it. Yeah, we learned a lot of them when we went rowing with Holyoke Rose. Good, good. Yeah. We're going to learn more when we go with the Springfield Dragon Boats uh, this next spring, perhaps. Exactly. And the Dragon Boat Festival is this Saturday. There's a, a bunch of amazing things in, in conjunction with this festival. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about the Waking the Dragon eye-dotting ceremony. I want to know what that's Ooh, all about. Oh, yes. So um, a big portion of that. And Linda, did you also do this during practice the other day? Uh, yeah, I did. Okay, so why don't you you have firsthand experience very recently? So why don't you talk about that? You mean on the on the on the water? Yes, the waking of the dragon boats. 
oh, I don't know what's meaning it, but I do know when you dot the I. Yeah, this is it. In yeah. the, in the le- Chinese legend, you know, there is a famous uh, pa- painter. He's a very good artist. So um, he, draw, he drew a lot of dragon, but he never dot the I. People said, why? Because he said they will fly away. They will become alive. Uh-huh. So that's the moment when you dot the I. After everything's done, the dragon will come alive and fly away. Is that what you're doing that's that for? That's exactly <laughs> it. So <laughs> at the very beginning of the festival... We have a, f- a ceremonial. We'll put the head, which are beautiful, ornate uh, wooden carvings. We put them on the front of the boat, and then we dot the eye. So the dragon boat comes alive for yes. the festival. So, so if you want to see real dragons <laughs> this Saturday <laughs> you bet. in Springfield in the North End for the Springfield Dragon Boat Festival. Originally, this festival was scheduled for July, and, of course, due to terrible weather, um, I'm, I'm betting it had to be postponed. Are there any things that you had included in the festival in July that you've had to take out or modify because now it's happening in the fall? No, not really. We actually, uh, we had everything scripted because we've been running this event for 10 years. So we sort of have a very simple script of what needs to happen when. Um, so when we had to unfortunately postpone back in July, and indeed it was the weather. We had that deluge of rain, nine inches, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> the, the river became unsafe, um, frankly, to be on. So we, um, you know, safety is paramount in everything we do at PBRC. Um, so we said, okay, we're going to have to postpone it, which we did. And we just pulled the script back out. And we said, okay, uh, we reinvited everyone. Uh, meaning the teams and all the vendors and the performers and uh, you name it. And we just sort of said, we'll just put it on pause and we're ready to roll for this Saturday. Speaking of performers, are there actually going to be lion dancers? Mm-hmm. Yes. <gasps> yes. It looks like, according to the <laughs> schedule here, when is that happening? At a ooh, drummer parade? I saw, I saw it on there. What time is the lion dancing going to happen? Usually it's happening around the drummer time. Okay. Um, I don't have the schedule in front of me. 12 o'clock. Bingo, there we go. It's at noon time. There's performances. All the cultural performances will, will take place. And uh, and then the, I think the drummer parade is in the afternoon. I, I, I think it's every boat have a drummer. Mm-hmm. Those oh, drummer. and then they all come mm-hmm. together? Yeah, yeah that yeah. happens at noon. Yep. Yeah. Cool. And there will be lion dancing there, too. Yes. Not lion dancing. dancing. <laughs> lion. Lion dancing, which well, is... Well, why not some lion dancing? You could do lion dancing I mean, with the lion shingo. dancing. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it would bring all the cultures together in a really interesting <laughs> way. It's super exciting. It's, uh, it sounds like an amazing time. I'm glad that it was able to happen after all the flooding that we all experienced over the summer. It is the Springfield Dragon Boat Festival happening this Saturday, starting at 8, going to 4 in the north end of Springfield near the bridge. Linda Hill is the president of the Chinese Association of Western Mass, and Louisa Davis-Freeman is the vice president of the Palomino Valley Riverfront Club. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. And check out the other things that they do, because, again, like the Chinese American Association did some really cool festivals over the, the summer, and Pioneer Valley River Pioneer Valley Riverfront Club is always doing really cool stuff, too. So yeah. it's not just this collaboration. Other things as well. Thursday on the Fabulous 413, there went a lot of shakeups in the local music scene with the sale of the Iron Horse and whatever's going on with the Calvin in <laughs> Northampton. But there is another big shakeup on the horizon with one of our favorite music festivals, and we'll get the scoop 
with the major players tomorrow on the show. Plus, we'll talk with Mary Tamer, Massachusetts Director of Democrats for Ed Education Reform, about the pros of keeping the MCAS test as a high-stakes graduation requirement in opposition to new legislation being proposed on Beacon Hill. And our weekly chat with Congressman Jim McGovern. We'll be talking a lot about the situation in Gaza, as well as the potential new speaker. Got a question for the congressman? Email us. The Fab 413 at NEPM.org. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Thanks to the tireless Fabulous 413 team, and we'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.